0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Rich in Grace series, which walks through the book of Ephesians, discovering the incredible riches that we have in Christ. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, take your Bibles, and let's go this morning to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians in chapter uh, number two today, all right? Turn there, Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter 2 today, and as we come into uh, our time in the Word this morning, before we get into it, have you ever come across something that was poorly designed? Maybe it was a building or something inside of a building, or maybe it was an, an advertisement that you came across and you just thought, whoever thought of that was not thinking clearly. Um, I know I've come across some things, but I've looked up some, some of the most uh, known poor designs and there's a ton of lists of things out there. But this was, uh, this was something I saw and whoever created this just wasn't thinking it through or they were from somewhere in the United States where this is normal. This is a picture frame and it says cousins and it has a picture of a newlywed couple um, I saw that, and you know what I thought? Poor design. That's a poor design. Whoever did that, unless you're from a certain part of the country, uh, which I'm not gonna name because some of you might get offended. I'm not gonna say that. Uh, but that was a poor design. Have you ever been inside of somewhere and you came maybe to a restroom and there was a poor design in the restroom? I've washed my hands at one of these sinks. And to me, it's a poorly designed sink because the hot and cold water is truly super hot or super cold. I remember growing up as a kid at a camp in Colorado and they had these type of sinks and you literally would turn on the, the cold and it would free, like your your hand, you'd get frostbite and then you'd turn on the hot and it would boil all of your tissue off of your fingers. Uh, that's a poor design. Uh, there's a church, I don't know where at, and uh, well, you can look this up. It's in uh, maybe New York, I don't know. You can see this, there's the website on here, but... This is a poorly designed banner. What happens when you die? Come and find out. Sunday's at 10. (laughs) Some of you will get this maybe later, but uh, you know, what are we going to like? What happens when we go to church? I mean, how do I find out? Do I come in and I, I don't know? I don't know what happens at this church. I don't know if you get killed when you enter the premises or what. I don't know. That's a poor design. You've probably come across some things like that and seen different things and uh, if Beth is in here, beth let 's not use this design on our next banner for the church but there uh, throughout history there have been uh, there have been poor designs with a lot of buildings. I read uh, um, about a, a building from uh, June of two thousand and nine it is uh, it 's known as the Lotus Riverside building or apartment buildings. This was a, a, thir- a residential apartment complex in Shanghai that was 13 stories. And because of construction flaws, on June 27th, 2009, one of the buildings literally just toppled over. From the picture, you can clearly see why it toppled over. Look at the foundation. Look at what was at the base of that holding that huge building up, uh, just a a poor foundation, poor design, and people injured and died because of poor design. I think about even in Washington state, uh, many of you have been to the west side of Washington and you've driven across the Narrows Bridge. Who's driven across the Narrows Bridge? Anybody here, you know the name, the nickname of the Narrows Bridge? Galloping Gertie, Galloping Gertie. That is the nickname of of the Narrows Bridge. And the the reason for that is because when it was created, it was the third longest suspension bridge in the world set to open on July 1st, 1940. But just a few months after it opened, it collapsed. The cause of the collapse was inadequate girders that were used in the construction to cut costs during the building. And thus it got the name Galloping Gertie and the name has stuck to the general public even to this day after living in, in the uh, Tacoma area during my teenage years and our parents being, my family being there for 15 years total. Uh, we knew about Galloping Gertie. It doesn't gallop much anymore, uh, but I tell you, people that were around back in 1940, not, not many are left now, but those that were uh, 20 and 30 years ago, they knew and they told the story. Oh, I remember. I remember I lived. Well, why did it get that name? Why did it collapse? Because of a poor design. Let me just say this this morning. When something is designed poorly, it is set up for failure. It's completely set up for failure. You can Google poorly designed tree houses and find a lot of failed tree houses. You can look up poorly designed, you can do that all. Listen, if something has a poor design, it's set up for failure But the opposite is is also true. That if something is perfectly designed, it is set up for complete success. It can't fail. As we come to Ephesians chapter number two, if you've been with us in our study, then you'll recall that we're studying out this letter written by Paul from the Mamertine prison Paul, who 10 years earlier had spent time in the city of Ephesus preaching the gospel and seeing tons of people come to Christ. Now, Paul, sitting in a jail cell, awaiting a trial before Nero, not knowing what is going to take place. Paul writes back to these believers and he doesn't write back, hey, I wish that you would encourage me. Paul writes back to be an encouragement to them. And the first portion of Paul's encouragement to them is really helping the believers at Ephesus understand that Jesus is rich in grace that God's grace in your life will never run out God never, then you never make a decision and God goes, oh, don't have grace for that. You never make a, have a situation where God says, well, I can't strengthen you or give you wisdom in that situation. No, God's grace never runs on empty in your life and my life. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful for that truth today because there are times every week in my life that I'm thinking, God, I just need you and I just need some grace. And so Paul writes to them to help them know that he is rich in grace and in everything that you inherit, you get it all in Jesus Christ. And when you trust Christ as Savior, what we've discovered is literally Jesus Christ comes in and he changes everything. And to help us with this, Paul has, has helped us see what God does and how God feels about us, what takes place at salvation. Most recently though, here's what Paul has done. He has been writing to these believers in Ephesus, helping them understand that when you receive Jesus Christ, there is a lot of things that change in your life, like your relationships with people. Remember this phrase the ground is level at the cross. I say it often, it's level at the cross. Galatians chapter three, that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female. We are all one in Christ. What, is Jesus, what did Paul teach these believers in Ephesians 2 to help us with that? He said, hey, you Jews hated the Gentiles and the Gentiles hated the Jews, but when you receive Christ, you're unified. You're brought together in unity. You are brought together and now you all have hope in Jesus Christ. And Paul would speak to them about what we talked about last week, that before Christ, we're on the outside looking in. But when we receive Christ, Ephesians 2.13, remember what he said? Paul said, but now you're in Christ and you are, you who were sometimes afar off on the outside, now you're brought nigh. You're brought near. Hey, when you receive Christ, everything in your life changes. When you receive Christ, your relationships change. When you receive Christ, your outlook and your perspective on trials change. When you receive Christ, you were on the outside, but when you receive him, you are brought nigh. You are brought into the family of God. You are made a child of the living God. Don't ever get over that. Don't ever miss the fact that when you trust Jesus that you become Jehovah God's child. John chapter three, you're born into his family. All of, all of the New Testament epistles You are then adopted into his family as well. The inheritance that belongs to Jesus also belongs to you. But this morning, Paul continues down this thought of everything changing. And Paul helps us understand this morning just through a few verses. We're only preaching four verses today. You know what that means? Absolutely nothing. It means that we're preaching four verses. So maybe I'll be shorter than last week, but don't count on it. I'm kidding. You know what? What Paul teaches in these four verses is simply this. When you get saved, you are brought into something that is perfectly designed. It is not going to fail. Jesus won't fail. And the unity that you have as Jews and Gentiles, the unity that you have, uh, even from all the different uh, uh, heritages that you come from, hey, the unity that you now have in Christ, God, God's perfect design cannot and will not fail. I want you to see it with me. Let's stand together. Let's read just a few verses. Ephesians chapter two and verse number 19 is where we're going to go this morning. Ephesians chapter two and verse number 19. We read these words, now therefore, hey, because of all of this, because of the unity that we have in Christ, because Jews and Gentiles are brought nigh, you are no no more strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens With the saints and of the household of God. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building is fitly framed together and groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. In whom, notice verse 22 and pay attention, we'll end on it today. In whom ye also are builded or built together. For inhabitation of God through the Spirit in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit again this morning what we're going to discover is that when we receive Jesus Christ into our life, we are made part or brought in we are brought nigh into something that is perfectly designed designed to last designed to have impact, designed to literally change this world. Here's the fact of the matter today. Every single person upon the face of this planet has an inner desire to be a part of something that is bigger than them. Everybody. And when you put your faith in Jesus, your life becomes part of something that is bigger than eternity. Your life becomes part of a God-ordained purpose and a plan that is perfectly designed to use you to showcase God to the people around you. And this morning, the simple fact I want us to understand is that when we receive Christ, God says, now I've got a perfect design, a perfect setup, a perfect plan specifically for you. I think we'll be challenged with it, so let's pray and then we'll get right into the word of God this morning. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just briefly, would you ask God to speak to you today? God, would you please speak to my heart today? And then would you make the commitment, God, if you speak to me, I'm gonna listen to you today. Dear Lord, thank you again for the word of God. Thank you for the truths that you are going to give to us in these next few moments. Lord, I just uh, humble my heart before you and I recognize, Lord, that I am unworthy to stand and preach your word. And yet today, Lord, I wanna stand here and boldly proclaim you because of your spirit. And so, God, I yield my mind, my words, my heart, my actions to you right now. God, I pray that you'd use your word, speak through me, speak to, speak to each of our hearts today. Lord, help me today, challenge me, help me to remember Uh, Lord, that I am to be a dwelling place of you. And God, I pray that you'd help us to recognize the perfect design that you have for us. And Lord, we thank you for your love. Thank you for what you're gonna do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated this morning. When we receive Jesus, we become part of something that is perfectly designed and set to succeed. And one of the reasons is because... Uh, of when Jesus brings us into the family of God, he brings all believers together as one. And this morning, this perfect design that God does, uh, God brings us together as one, and he kind of, Paul wants to uh, help us understand what he brings us together as one, as Uh, how do I say that? Uh, We'll just get into it, and you'll understand as I'm going along. Uh, That God brings us together as, number one, he brings us together as one nation. All right, God brings you together as one nation. Where do we see this? Look at verse number 19. Look at verse number 19, because here's what Paul writes. He says, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. We'll stop right there. Fellow citizens with the saints. If you notice what Paul says, if you've been here in previous weeks, Paul connects back to some previous thoughts that we've learned. Well, what have we learned? Notice the phrase when Paul says, you are no more strangers and foreigners. This connects back to verse number 12. Remember in verse number 12, here's what Paul had said to them. When you're on the outside looking in, you were at that time, number one, without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were without citizenship. We saw this last week. And you were strangers from the covenants of promise. You were without covenants. You were without hope. You were, without, you were on the outside looking in. But notice that phrase that you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That phrase aliens connects directly to the word strangers that we read in verse number 19. That word stranger, the word alien, it simply means a foreigner, someone who is not at home. We spoke of this last week saying that you are an alien, you and I are strangers without Christ. We are on the outside looking in because we are not part of the kingdom of God. Do you realize that when you're born into this world, you are born outside of the kingdom of God? Part of the reason for this is Paul using the illustration of being a foreigner to a land. This is what Paul's doing. He's trying to help them understand that a foreigner to a certain country, though they may abide there and, excuse me, not abide, though they may uh, uh, um, live there and sojourn there, they are not citizens. Now, I recognize that in our country, in our country, we... We, too, have this terminology, but this terminology is not meant to be derogatory. So I'm going to use it this morning that when someone comes into America and they don't receive their citizenship, they're called an alien. Now, does that mean that they're weird? And No, no, no. The word alien, it just means foreigner. That's what it means. Stranger in this. Okay, now what does a, someone, you know, right now, I'll, I'll go visit countries, those of you that are going with us to Israel this year. Uh, we have Israel September 12th through 22nd. There's my plug. If you want to go to Israel, see me afterwards, see Beth, we would love to get you signed up. That's the commercial. But if I go, I'm going to go to Israel this year. When I go to Israel, and I, I love going to Israel, when I step foot there, I am not a citizen of Israel. I don't have any rights there. I can't I can't go in and, and claim anything from the health department. I can't go in and, and get a driver's license. I, I can't do any of the why? I'm an alien. Make sense? Here's what Paul is saying. When you're without Christ, you're without citizenship. But verse number 19, but when you're brought in, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. What's he saying? You are brought into one nation. You are given citizenship. We, as aliens, we have no inheritance, no right. We have nothing being given to us. We are not of his kingdom. But Paul makes the contradiction and says, when you receive Christ, you are brought in and made one nation. Now you are not Jew and Gentile. You were divided, but now you are together as one nation, not because of your heritage, In this world, but because of his heritage, which is out of this world, because of Christ, you are brought in and you are made a citizen of his kingdom. The fact is that when anybody trusts Jesus as Savior, they are brought together as one nation. We are no longer an outcast. We are no longer foreigners. We are no longer under division, and we are no longer under the the, uh, heritage battles that people face. No, now we are fellow citizens. We are no longer on the outside. We are now on the inside. We aren't foreigners who are sojourners and unwelcome travelers. No, now we are fellow citizens, the same town, same kingdom, same heritage, we now belong. I wanna say this this morning. I, I'm thankful for my American heritage. I don't apologize to people for being proud to be an American. I love, I love being from the United States. Some of you, you weren't born in the US and you moved here. <clears throat> and I will say, as, as an American, I, I stand up here often and we, I don't shy away from politics and being thankful for our country and, and thankful, though I don't agree with all of the politics in our country, most of the politics in our country, I don't agree with. But you know what? I'm thankful to be an American. I'm thankful for our, our soldiers, Hey, I am, I'm thankful for our our soldiers and those of you that have fought in our military. I applaud you and I give you a personal standing ovation. I I try to thank anybody I ever see that I know is in the military. I try to tell them, hey, thank you for serving our country. I'm thankful for our flag. I'm thankful for the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm thankful for the National Anthem. I'm thankful, listen, I'm thankful for those things. Why, I'm proud to be an American. But there's a kingdom better that I'm also a part of. And that kingdom takes priority. But what's that kingdom, Pastor? Hey, I received Jesus Christ years ago, and you know what God did? God brought me in and made me part of his kingdom. And we say it here often, I'm a Christian first. Why? I'm a representative of his kingdom. So here's what I'm gonna ask you. Those of us, we would say, man, I wanna, we need to be proud to be an American. I, I want to represent my country, America, and I'm going to, you know, you'll, you'll get in on, the, on the, uh, uh, the conversation and patriotic conversations of the day. I'm going to stand for the flag. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Hey, let me ask you, how are you at representing his kingdom? Hey, at work, you'll stand up and have the political disagreements, but at work, will you stand up and say, no, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian first. Hey, with the family, right? We don't ever talk religion and politics, but we'll talk politics before we talk religion. Here's my question. When you were born into Jesus Christ's kingdom, you were given that citizenship made one nation. I wonder which kingdom am I more proud of? Am I more proud of the country that I'm from, whether it be America or Canada or Mexico or, or uh, Taiwan or China or the Philippines? or I don't, I don't know where you're from. We might, be from, we might be from somewhere. Listen, I was born into, God brought me into the citizenship of heaven. Hey, I should, I should have a desire to represent his kingdom well. Here's what Paul is helping us understand that when we receive Christ, we are brought into one nation. We are also brought into one family, one family. I absolutely love this. I love this principle. Look at the end of verse number 22. The end of, verse number 19, excuse me. The end of verse number 19, it says this, and of the household of God. Hey, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're of his kingdom, and you are also of the household of God. Here's the thought this morning, and we've already hit it, and Paul hits it all throughout the book of Ephesians that when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, you are brought into the family of God. We've seen this as Paul talked about the new birth, but we've also seen it as he talks about adoption. Here's what it is. This is a absolutely big, deal. It is a big deal to be brought into the family of God. Now, remember the phrase context matters. We say that here often. Context matters. Well, why? Because context gives me picture. It helps me understand everything. Why would Paul, oh, this is so cool. Why would Paul write so much about your new family, family ship, your new household, your new heritage? Here's why. The church at Ephesus was made up of a ton of different people. Okay, just like Moses Lake Baptist Church, man, it's made up of a ton of different people. We have older people. Wait, we have more seasoned people. We have less seasoned people. That's older and younger. We have, we have, uh, we have people who are, have, uh, may, maybe are well-off financially and some who are not so well-off financially. We have people who have good backgrounds and people who have bad backgrounds. We have people from uh, split homes and people from good homes. We have people from, um, that don't even know their homes. I mean, we have, we have people from every walk of life. But imagine that early church, all right? That church at Ephesus and believers there. Do you know it was common there? And we know this in the Roman kingdom, that there was probably over 60 million slaves in the kingdom, in the, Rome, the kingdom of Rome. Do you know where many of those slaves were? They were in your big cities, like Ephesus. Did you know that there were slaves that were a part of the church at Ephesus? Did you also know that most slaves, they didn't really have a good family heritage to be proud of? Slaves, a lot of them didn't even know their family. If you go To the believers in Ephesus, you would have slaves in the congregation that were not from a good home or family, slaves that had never met their family. You would have people who had been saved from the pagan Greek mythology religions, and they had been cut off by their families. You had people who were rich and they were given their money because of their family and yet now they received Christ and their family cut them off and now they no longer have the inheritance of their family and then you have people who do have a good family dynamic and so you have this whole uh, group of people across the board who have this heritage that some of them can be proud and some of them can't. Here's what Paul writes to them. Hey, when you receive Christ, you were brought into the household or the family of God. Now you have a family that you can be proud of. Hey, now you have some brothers and sisters that come from all walks of life and you sit next to them and you uh, fellowship with them and you hear preaching with them and you worship God with them. Hey, now you have a place to belong. I love being in the United States when I'm, when I'm traveling. When I, when I go, go out, of, out of the country and I get back to the US, I'm like, man, I'm thankful to be the US. But you know what I really get happy? When I get back and I walk in my house. Man, and the kids, if, if they're nice that day, you know, they run up and give me a hug. Dad, we missed you. I, man, I give my kids a hug, and then I, I love when they say, hey, how can we hang out tonight? Hey, what are we gonna do tonight? Hey, let's watch a movie together. Hey, let's play a board game. Hey, dad, hey. And they wanna spend, you know why? Man, I love my family. I belong in my home. Like, I love Some of you have been to your house before. I like your house. You got nice houses. But I'm at home in my house. Like I can, today I'm gonna go home and take my shoes off. I can open the fridge and get in anytime I want. When Hannah gives me permission, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I get in my fridge. You know, then I can go go and I'm gonna change. And today I'm gonna do a couple things, do some work on my computer. And then I, I might even get to lay down and take a nap make a cup of coffee, get back up, come to church. Then tonight after church, I can go home, turn on TV and I'm gonna watch some March Madness. I'm a March Madness fan. If you didn't watch the Bulldogs, Gonzaga barely pulled it out yesterday, but they did. If you're a North Carolina fan, your team's doing pretty good. Anyway, man, you know what? Here's what I'm saying. I'm gonna do all that. I wouldn't be comfortable doing that at your house. Now, maybe Robert's, maybe maybe Rob's house, I would. However, I'm probably not fitting into Robert's shorts. That just probably (laughs) might be a little too long for me. You know what? There's just something about your family, something about your home. Because the truth is, my home, it's not really my home that I'm super excited about. It's about being by my family. We have great family get-togethers, and uh, man, I'm praying someday all of our family can be together, and there's like hundreds of us. Uh, But you know what? My two sisters, my one sister lives in Spokane, Dawn, and we were at her house last Saturday for her 50th birthday. She turned 50. My sister is 50. (laughs) Five zero. (laughs) I hope she watches this and finds out that I'm announcing to you she's 50. Now, so, now, if you're 50, that's not old. She's 50. That's very old. But you know what? Last week we went there for her birthday party. You know what? My family was there. I felt the same comfort there that I do in my home because I'm close with my family. I love my family. Hey, here's what Paul was getting at with this, these believers. No matter how you feel with your earthly family, once you receive Christ, you're given a new family. Man, you're brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, this is a place where you belong. This is a place where you can be comfortable. This is a place some of you do kick off your shoes. And this is a place where, you know what? You can be here and somebody can say, hey, how'd your week go? And you can say, honestly, it's kind of a crummy week, man. And they're not gonna go, "Ah, you mean you're not perfect? They're gonna go, man, I'm, so, I'm sorry to hear that. What can I pray for? This is a place where when you're not here and you come back and someone says, oh, I missed you. It's not them trying to guilt you. It's them like genuinely like, uh, you know, missing you. There's people today that aren't able to be here because of sickness and stuff. I've got some texts this morning and, and I text them, man, I'm gonna miss you today. And it's not because you're the pastor that's expected. No, 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 I really miss you. Why? Because you're my, we're family. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, when you you receive Christ, you are brought in into the family of God and regardless of your heritage, background, previous relationships, regardless of anything from your your earthly relationships, you are brought into the family of God. We are one household. Hey, you know what? This is a perfect design. Why? You're brought in as one nation. You're brought in as one family. Then Paul says you're brought in as one building. You are brought in as one building. Notice verse 20 and 21. Here's what Paul says. "And our build, you are built upon the foundation of the, of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. We are not only part of God's family. We are not only part of the, the kingdom of heaven, but we are part of the building of God of which Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Don't miss this phrase, all right? And I I say this, and we just covered it this morning in our starting point class for those that are uh, interested in Moses Lake Baptist or new to the church or haven't gone through the class before. And here's the fact. Everything that we believe is built on Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the church, Okay, when Jesus started the church, when he called the apostles and the disciples to himself, he said, I will build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, what was he building upon? He said, upon this rock. Many people think that this rock in Matthew 16, 18 refers to Peter. It does not. It refers to the truth that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The, the truth that we believe, everything that you have, oh, listen, this is good. Everything that you have in this book, it is all built upon Jesus Christ. Everything. It's all about Jesus. The church that we worship in today, the, the believers that we are a part of today, it's built upon Christ. And here's what Paul said. He is the chief cornerstone. He's the chief cornerstone. Well, what does this mean? What is a, a chief cornerstone? A chief cornerstone, the cornerstone is important. This truth is important for them and it's important for us. And he wanted these believers to know and remember that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone would be this. Someone would say it in relation to architecture, a cornerstone is traditionally the first stone laid for the structure, which all other stones are laid in reference to. A cornerstone, it marks the geographical location by orienting a building in a specific direction. Hey, the chief cornerstone is the foundational stone. If the chief cornerstone got taken out, the building will crumble. Hey, without Jesus Christ, everything that we have is pointless. And Paul's already written about that. Now he writes about it again. The fact that everything is built upon Jesus Christ. And then you have the apostles and prophets. What are they? They're they're built in upon the cornerstone, upon the truth of Jesus. And then Paul says, and who comes after that is believers. You and me. Believers throughout history are on this building, God's building. We all make up this building that is fitly framed together. That phrase, fitly framed. It means closely joined together or glued together. We as God's people, we are built together, verse 21, to become a temple. What is a temple? The dwelling place of God. We'll get to that in just a minute, but you and I are built together. And Paul said this to the believers at the church at Corinth. He said, we are laborers together. We serve together. We are God's husbandry, the vineyard of God, producing fruit for God. And you, we are God's building." We are God's building. We are part of the building, the building of believers throughout history, the building of believers to come. But we are also given the responsibility of building. And when I read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, in whom the building is fitly framed together, When I read that and when I understand that we groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, here's what I find a great challenge in. God not only makes you a part of the building, but 1 Corinthians chapter three continues to teach that God says that you and I are to be builders as well. What does it mean to be a part of the building? All right, here's Jesus, he's the foundation. Then you had those prophets who spoke of Christ to come. You have, because they believed in faith. You have the apostles. You have the other disciples. Then you have people continuing Christ. And since Jesus, just one generation of believers after another has become built upon Christ. Make sense? Now here's our responsibility. We are responsible to continue the building of the church. Now we know that Jesus adds to the church and that it's not our responsibility to make people trust Christ, but who is not a part of the building, the family, the citizenship, who do you know that's still on the outside looking in? I'll ask it this way. Who do you know that still needs Jesus in their life? Do you know what you and I do when we take the opportunity to witness and tell somebody about the gospel and tell somebody about the death, burial, and resurrection? Hey, do you know what we get to do? We get to be a part of the building of it. We get to be a part of helping generations to come to know Christ. I wonder, who do you know that needs you to share Christ with them? I mean, who are you reaching with or for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Hey, what coworker, what loved one, what friend, who's the person that they're still, like we saw last week on the outside, looking in? Hey, you know what? You're part of the building. And as part of the building, God says, and I also wanna use you to build I wanna use you as a laborer together, 1 Corinthians 3. I wanna use you to help this building become tighter and stronger by continuing to build upon what I've designed. And here's the cool part about it. His design isn't gonna fail. means once you're a part of salvation, hey, once you're a part of the nation, the family, this household, the building, you can't lose your salvation. We believe and we teach consistently. The Bible stands on this truth. Once saved, always saved. Hey, when Jesus said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, it means definitely gonna happen. If you have Jesus Christ in your life, you're part of this building and you know what? God's never gonna go, eh, and God's never playing Jenga with your Christian life. How many of you played Jenga? You know, you gotta pull a little, little, uh 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 little, Blocks. Thank you. Could not think of that. You got to pull little wooden blocks out. You know what? A Jenga after a while, it's going to topple over. God doesn't play Jenga with your life and my life as a Christian. He puts us in the building and we are glued together. And the Holy Spirit says nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Hey, it's a perfect design. We are brought in as one nation. We are brought in as one family. We are brought in as one building, but lastly today, we are brought in with one purpose. Don't miss this. Verse 22. In whom ye also, you are built or brought or built together for or to become an habitation of God through the Spirit. What does that mean, an habitation of God through the Spirit? you and I, we are brought together to be the dwelling place of God through his Holy Spirit. In the book of Genesis, the Bible teaches that God walked among his people. But in Exodus, the Bible teaches that he chose to dwell with his people. He dwelt in what we call the tabernacle until Israel sinned and the glory of the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter number four departed from the tabernacle. Then in 1 Kings, God dwelt in the temple. And he dwelled in the temple for the purpose of showing his presence to the people of God. But Israel sinned and the glory of God, Ezekiel chapter 10, departed again. But now, in the New Testament, when a person receives Christ, listen, through his spirit, God now dwells in the hearts of men. And this time, he promised that he would never leave. God does not dwell in man-made buildings, Although we call this building the church, this is just the church building. No, the church are the believers that gather here. The church are the believers that have joined themselves together to say, we are. Moses Lake Baptist Church, and we have the purpose of moving the gospel forward. And we believe this truth. And we, we sign our lives, our, our, our lives and our Christianhood together to say, hey, we are bound to say, he is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. We believers are the church. But you wanna know where God dwells? God dwells in the midst of the congregation of the church, but then also God dwells in the heart of every single individual who's received him. In Romans chapter eight, it says this, that if you don't have the spirit of God, then you don't have God because when you receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God will move into your life. And you and I, we get the privilege that the Old Testament saints dreamed of. What is that? Now, the, now God doesn't just come in and dwell amongst us. God doesn't just come in and and walk physically with us. No, now God says, I will be in you through the Spirit. See, when you and I trust Christ as Savior, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, God, through the Spirit, moves into us. He dwells in the hearts of those who have trusted him. And this reference in verse 22 is referring back to the temple, in verse number 21, when it says that we are made in habitation for God through the Spirit. Well, what was the temple? The reference of the temple would be meaningful to the, writer, to the readers in Ephesus. Why? Because that, that group of believers in Ephesus was made up of Jews and made up of Gentiles, and they were all a part of this church, and they would all associate the word temple with their previous religions. Okay, for the Jew, the temple was a huge deal. We don't have time to go through it, but the tabernacle and the temple, it represented the presence of God. For all of those who were a part of Ephesus that were a part of the worship of the goddess Diana, Acts chapter number 19, you can read about that. They would associate the word temple with the false worship of the goddess Diana, but it too insinuated presence. The temple for religions, why? Why? Oh, Why do false religions have certain places that they have to go to every year? Why do certain religions have certain directions they have to pray in on certain hours of the day? It's because there is a building. Oh, this is so good. There is a building, maybe you, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna sit down here and get excited myself. There is a building that they look to and they say, man, that building represents all that we believe. And that building, if that building goes down, then we're all gonna die. And if that building, and they they worship that building because that building represents, oh, the building represents the presence of the the deity or the so-called God that they worship. Hey, here's what God is saying to you and I in Ephesians chapter number two. When you trust Christ, you become the building. You become the family. You become the temple. You are the person. It doesn't mean you are worshiped. No, no, no. You have the one dwelling in you that is to be worshiped and you become the habitation of God. Now God wants to use your life to point back to him. Like everybody in a false religion will look to that false religion and say, that big building right there represents that religion to this world. That's what your life is supposed to be to this world. People look at you and they say, that person right there represents God who is in this world. That person represents everything that they believe and they teach that. Well, why can we do that? Because we are made, we are brought together for the purpose of being an habitation, a dwelling place of God. Do you get that this morning, man? It's such a good truth. Once you get saved, God moves into you and he wants to use you to point to him. Now, how do we do that? Through the spirit. Through the spirit. One of the main purposes of God dwelling in us as believers throughout history is to point to him. He brings us together with the purpose of lifting him up. But unfortunately, you and I, we live in this thing called the flesh. Well, what's the flesh? It's this stuff. And once you get saved, we are saved from the penalty of sin, eternity in hell. We are saved from the power of sin. We don't have to sin anymore. But while we're still alive, we are not saved from the presence of sin. We still dwell in a corrupt culture and we still dwell in a flesh that desires sinful things. Every day of your life and every day of my life, you and I have a decision. We have two voices that speak into our lives. The first voice is the voice of sin. That comes through the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the world and the pride of life. It comes through the world, the, the demonic forces around us and our flesh. That voice cries out, do what you want, say what you want, go where you want. You do you. That's what the voice of sin cries. And every day I choose, am I gonna listen to that voice? Or if I'm a believer and I've trusted Jesus Christ as my savior, now I have the Holy Spirit in my life. And the Holy Spirit says, "Um, probably shouldn't say that. (laughs) The Holy Spirit says, no, 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 don't, nope, nope, don't think that. Holy Spirit says, no, 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 probably shouldn't go there. Holy Spirit says, hey, don't give in. There's greater victory if you don't give in. Holy Spirit says, hey, why don't you say this to that person? You'll be able to be a big encouragement to them. The Holy Spirit says, hey, why don't you choose to forgive? It will help you. The Holy Spirit says, hey, put aside the bitterness. Hey, don't gossip. The Holy Spirit is always giving us instruction and and trying to speak truth into our life. Here's what we have to choose every day. Which voice am I going to listen to? Okay, it's called practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit, listening to the voice of the Spirit. Now, back to the idea of being an habitation of God. I, as a Christian and you as a Christian, I, I think I could speak for you to say, I don't think there's anybody here that's like, you know, I wanna be a bad representative of God. Like, like this week, I totally don't care. I, I don't care. Like, yeah, I, want, I don't... I don't care if I represent God in a good way or a bad way. I'm just gonna, I, I don't care. I think I can speak for all of us to say there's nobody here that has the audacity to be like, yeah, I just wanna give God a bad name. I believe everybody here would say, you know what, I want, I want. man, I want my life to be used for something. Man, my purpose is to glorify God. I wanna glorify God this week. Man, I wanna glorify him in what I say and what I do and where I go and what I think and how. God, I want to do that. How do I do that? Here's where the answer is, through the spirit. Hey, quit listening to the voice in your life that is the voice of the world, the flesh and the devil. Quit listening to sin that says, hey, just give in and step over and begin listening to the spirit, practicing the presence of God every day. The Bible teaches this in Romans chapter eight, verses nine or eight and nine. It says, so they then that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you, once you receive Christ, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. And if any man have not the spirit of Christ, none is his. Hey, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. You. Hey, you don't, you are not dependent upon your own strength to get through this world and to get through this day and make answers and make uh, answers to the questions of life. And you are not responsible to walk in your own wisdom. You aren't responsible to solve your own problems. No, 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 no. God has gifted you and I with the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes all the fruit of the Spirit, all the blessings of the Holy Spirit. But every day I have to choose to walk in the Spirit. And that's Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 6 is, have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. We choose to allow the Spirit of God to lead us, and when we do that, we are a habitation of God. We are that place that people look to and say, man, I want what they have. And that, that person represents God. And if our lives are going to be a display of the presence of God, then we have to let God lead us, and What it looks like on a daily basis is me asking the Lord to help me with my words, with my family. It's asking God to give me a right attitude with people at work that I have difficulty with. It's me stopping uh, and seeking the Lord before I rush into a decision or a conversation. It's me asking the Lord for strength to say no to temptation. It's me making decisions that I know the Lord would want me to make and controlling my tongue when I want to lash out and controlling my thoughts when the devil throws temptation my way. It's me saying no to my flesh and everything every sinful situation, it is a moment by moment and day by day decision to say, God, you have given me the purpose of showing you to the world. Help me do it. Because God didn't give you the responsibility without the help. He he asked you and I to point to him and then he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us accomplish that purpose. If our lives are to be a display, I don't know why I went to that one, but if our lives are to be a display of his presence, then we must allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. In every Christian, in every believer, we are brought together as one. We are one nation, one family, one building. Christianity is not going to fail. I know our world looks bleak at times, and our culture looks corrupt at times. Most times, all the time. But here's the thought: God, God's not going to fail. God's system can't fail. It's perfectly designed, and you are brought in to that design with a purpose a purpose of using your life to point to him. So are you fulfilling your purpose? Are you living out your God-given identity as a dwelling place and demonstration of the power and spirit of God? Am I living my life every day so that people around me will know I belong to him? Part of his nation, am I representing him as a citizen? Part of his family, am I representing my father's name? Part of his building, who am I bringing along to build in? Part of his purpose, the purpose of worshiping and glorifying him. I wanna encourage you today with this thought, and we're done. If you know Christ as your savior, if you've put your faith and your trust in him, today, would you make this decision? God, I want my life to point to you, but I need the help of your spirit. And so God, would you help me to discern the voice of your spirit? God, would you help me to learn to listen to you? It's a decision of God, I want my life to point to you, but I need your help for this. And so God, would you help me to listen to your spirit and make that decision today? God, I I wanna listen to you. Would you help me with that? Would you help me to understand the truths of your word and how it applies to my life? God, would you help me this week to, to know when you want me to forgive and what you want me to say and how you want me to treat others? God, would you help me to be a habitation of you? Thank you for listening to this message. it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.